Welcome to the March to a Million podcast with Greg DuPont, founder of the Wealth Solutions Network. In this podcast, Greg shares his journey to positively impact one million lives by creating an army of financially minded attorneys who embrace an expanded role in their clients' lives. Greg and his guests challenge the status quo in the legal profession and the financial services industry and show attorneys how they can improve their lives, provide greater value to their clients, and experience greater professional satisfaction. Join us in this movement and strengthen your business by learning how to solve your clients' most pressing financial problems. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of March to a Million with Greg DuPont. The idea behind this show today is to have you get a good glimpse into who Greg is, really what March to a Million is about, and what to expect from this podcast and episodes to come. So Greg, welcome to the show. Matt, I am so excited to be here today. Thank you for having me and uh, I'm looking forward to this journey together. Me too. So let's talk about why are you doing this show? What is the philosophical basis to this idea of March to a Million? And how did you come up with that name? It's a long story, but we're going to make it longer, right? Uh, so, <laughs> you know, uh, the March to Million is a challenge that I set out for myself uh, four years ago now, uh, that I wanted to positively impact a million lives by the time I reached the age of 65 on September 30, 2030. And I initially started out as that being my guiding mission, as it were, that's grown over time. Because... To try to pull this off, I realized no one man can do that. One man can influence people to get that uh, that objective reached. And that vision has led me to where we are now, which is where I am using this vehicle and others to try to build a an army of financially minded professionals, attorneys specifically like myself, so that they can uh, take a position of leadership for their clients and improve their lives by providing single point responsibility uh, and solutions for their financial tax legal needs all under one role as i call a financial advocate why why is this so needed you would think that the financial world be it the insurance world or the investment world has this covered. And as a matter of fact, when I started practicing law back in the day, oh, so long ago, back in 1992 now, you know, that was that was the operating assumption. You know, most people that were coming to me as an estate planning attorney uh, came to me referred by financial advisors and things like that. But as my practice evolved, as I kept seeing these repeated patterns, I saw more and more that people were not getting the leadership and guidance they needed, the information they needed to make good decisions regarding their financial future. And I started investigating it. I started looking into what was going on there. Uh, and then I had a pivotal moment in my career. It was when I was sitting in my favorite place, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. I was sitting in a conference room where at the time I was looking across, I said one, two, three, four, and five attorneys being me, all involved in a trust dispute case. Oh. 
And I realized at the time that me at $250 an hour, I was the cheapest one with a lot. And we were there because the financial world, the investment world, the insurance world, the tax world let this family down. And when when the spit hit the fan, everybody was pointing at each other saying it was their mistake. Nobody had took responsibility. That's when I started really looking at this thing. How do I fix that? How do I put myself in a position where that never happens to any of my clients? And so that set the course that leads us to where we are now. Well, let's talk about how how do you fix this? I mean, what did you learn from 1900s? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I just I love saying that it just makes us both feel so seasoned. Uh, but uh, so so what did you learn? What did you start putting in place uh, to solve these problems for your clients? So when I made that decision back then that I was not going to let this happen to my clients, uh, I started reflecting upon all of the the bad coffee meetings, bad lunch meetings, some bad dinner meetings with guys from the financial world that wanted to have access to my my client base. And I reflected upon some of the learnings from that. You know, I, I heard some good stuff, some good strategies. I found there are some good people out there in that world, uh, but the burnout rate is so high. And, and the good ones quickly become shall we say, overworked. Sure. I wanted to find a way to fix that. And so I took a sabbatical uh, from my law practice for a few years, Hmm. joined a financial planning and national financial planning and mutual fund firm, spent a few years inside the belly of the beast. When I was there, it showed me why I had observed what I observed outside. Meaning, you know, I came in with with a crew of about a dozen people and over the course of a couple of years, 10 of them washed out and two of them barely survived. Uh, I only survived because I had the law practice in the background. It's hard to go from a nice, uh, comfortable six-figure uh, law practice to, as I'm sure you've seen with other people you've talked to, basically uh, slave wages for starting in the financial world. So I was able to buy time with my other profession and build it out. And came a time when I I um, saw the limitations of working within that corporate structure, how that would negatively impact my ability to deliver solutions to my clients. Uh, and at that point in time, I went out, uh, became independent, uh, formed what now is a, a constellation of companies. Uh, you know, yeah. I've got my registered investment advisory firm, so that I have access to all of the solutions that investors need without having a corporate overlord saying you must push this product. Uh, Similarly, I have an insurance firm that is also independent so that I can do the same thing. And I have a tax preparation firm so that I'm able to give people tax advice and have, you know, confidence in what's going on with that. So then I've also got my law firm where I am a financial, uh, financially minded attorney doing estate planning, tax, et cetera. And so all that stuff comes together. And to pull it together, I took the additional training to become a certified financial planner. Hmm. Part of the mission of this podcast, of this outreach, is to get other attorneys to understand that the path that I went through 
they do not need to go through. Oh. Technology has changed. The systems have changed. Uh, our mission has built the, the structures, the tools, so that other attorneys can rely upon our back office. All they need to do is get the right licensing to be fully compliant, but we can help them pursue this vision. And, you know, you've heard of this little thing called chat GPT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's going to affect so much that, that technology, you know, yeah. the, the things that I can do now from financial advisory perspective, from, from a planning perspective, the computing power that I'm able to access now, I didn't have three years ago. Yeah. Did not, nobody had five years ago. What's it going to look like in a couple of years? And so the, the core message, you know, when we're thinking about what the consumer needs and how do we deliver it to them? Well, that is something that the consumer needs somebody that they can trust mm. that can provide that leadership and guidance and give them the solutions they need. You said that the attorneys need to have specific licenses. Do you mind if we kind of dive into that very quickly? Sure, sure. There's a lot of people out there that have gone about this the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, And tried to skirt around the uh, registration requirements Mm -hmm. uh, under the auspices of, uh, I, I am a attorney, I can guide people, I can give them information, and I can get, you know, a referral fee and things like that. Uh, there's no reason to play that game. The reality is the licensing requirements for most people, uh, a reasonably intelligent guy uh, can get an insurance license in a matter of a couple of weeks for a couple hundred bucks. Have you heard about this thing called the fiduciary standard? I have. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Hold on. Now, I don't know if our audience has. So why don't you expand on what the fiduciary standard means? Yeah, well, other than the fact that it's a big consumer marketing fraud. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you're preaching to the choir right now, my friend. Well, it's, it, you know, it's nominally. It is that the person that is providing the guidance and the assistance, the, the financial advice in that situation is somebody that is under an obligation to do something in their best interest. And that that is absolutely a core tenet of what we do here. I, I say that we are we if you're going to be an attorney in the role where you are providing financial advice in addition to having a relationship with a client, then you are a fiduciary times 10. Because mm-hmm. you are in a position of a disparity in knowledge and all that stuff that we talk about in the law. But as it comes to the financial world, the fiduciary standard, being a fiduciary, essentially means that that financial advisor has taken the lowest level of licensing and testing that the industry requires. Mm-hmm. That means they can't charge a commission, they charge an asset and management fee. But the consumer thinks that that is something that they can rely upon, that this person is a quote-unquote fiduciary, but it's a bunch of malarkey from the marketing perspective. 
getting back to the licensing. So they need to get their life, health, and annuity license, depending on the state. Are there any other licensing uh, requirements that you ask attorneys to to um, get in order to really work well within the system? So if they are going to talk about investments, then they get what's called a Series 65, uh, which is the fiduciary uh, to become a, a investment advisory representative of a registered investment advisory firm. Now, there's a whole nother way that people can have uh, solicitor relationships and those type of things that uh, that some people choose to use. But at this point in time, if that is where the attorney wants to go, then then that's my recommendation, because it's got the best kind of concise training of what the regulatory environment is. As I mentioned, it's a couple hundred bucks to to do the insurance licensing. As you mentioned, it is on a state-by-state basis, and most states have classes that you can go to and take it and be done real quick. The testing for the Series 65 is a little bit more onerous, but still uh, not that much. I've got people that I work with that have no financial background uh, that take the time, take it seriously study it and pass it within a matter of a couple of months. Yeah. Well, it can't be any worse than the law school, can it? I don't really think it. So, you know, I, I will say that, you know, yes, I, law school was fun. Taking the bar was fun. He says with uh, more than a bit <laughs> of sarcasm dripping. Yeah. But when I took my certified financial planning test after that second day of that process, I'm like, I ain't, I'm never doing this again. I better pass this on again because <laughs> yeah. it, it brought back those bad memories of of taking my bar exam. Yeah. So, attorneys uh, looking to get their life, health, and annuity license, and if they want to be able to provide investment advice, they need to get their sixty-five. What sort of attorney are you looking to have plug into your system here, Greg? So the obvious answer is somebody that's got a estate planning practice of mm-hmm. one form or another, but it could be on that. When we've got trainings that talk about the various modules of, of financial, we call them the pillars of financial advocacy, it shows the attorney how there are patterns, that we look for patterns, which is what we are natively trained to do as attorneys, look for fact patterns and figure out solutions. And how there there are some repeatable patterns that exist from a financial model perspective. And then we've got the tools to translate those models into actionable items. So the attorney that is well-suited for this type of a program is one that has a good consumer presence with people that have money, right? Sure. And I'm not, I'm not talking about millionaires and billionaires. They got their own family offices that work with that stuff. But you know, your your run of the mill consumer next door. Mm-hmm. I got in this business to help people like my family. I grew up here in Central Ohio, a family of seven kids, a good Catholic family as it were. Right. My dad was a small business owner, did all right by himself, raising those seven kids in the middle of the Carter era. But that's that's who the attorney needs to be serving, that milieu of, of a consumer. That comes in so many ways. You know, if you are an attorney that has a, a thriving business practice, an attorney that 
does with a personal injury, those type of things, you know, that has money come across the table. And they want to help people make sure that things are done the right way. And so what we do in our training uh, and what we do with our continuing uh, ongoing support through the Wealth Solutions Network, which we'll unveil and work through throughout these podcasts, is to provide that certainty that the attorney can step into that breach with that client and say, I have the right solutions for you. And I'm going to be that ongoing leader in your life and going to help you get to where you want to go. So anybody that's got that type of relationship with their clients is what we're looking for. That's that's a little bit broader of a foundation, Greg, than I had actually expected. I love the fact that you're talking about, you know, attorneys who work with business owners, right? Especially when they're selling the business. Oh my goodness gracious. You know, trying to find a trusted person to help manage that is very, very difficult. And I also like the idea of personal injury attorneys because they're the first people who are not only negotiating the settlement, but are going to actually see the settlement actually come across their desk. In fact, an attorney I was interviewing a little while ago, an estate planning attorney said, man, I've got a whole desk drawer full of trusts that have never been funded because that's not my job. Do you, you mind expanding on both of those things or those kind of three points a little bit more robustly for our audience, please? Yeah. You know, a lot of that, that uh, observation that attorney had, that that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. Because early on in my practice, I kept seeing these products from trust mills and now I see in the financial services world where they're further commoditizing the attorney by providing third-party solutions yeah. for the estate planning docs. And the consumer has got no idea what they're doing with it. They've got no follow-up in, uh, that's in place. So many estate planning attorneys, uh, like your friend, they now take to the position of, well, they're, they're going to try to charge people to help them implement it. Mm-hmm. On top of a X thousand dollar planning fee, the consumer might be a little bit reluctant to take that next step and pay even more money, right? So the consumer does not get the value of the output that the attorney has put in, right? They, they, we are delivering a solution, the solution being a funded living trust. Well, if it doesn't get funded, there is no, you haven't had that solution. And that's the core of the problem. And we, as a, a legal profession, have taken the role of scrivener all too often. And that's a word that many people don't know, but the guys in the law do. We're, we're just doing the writing upon somebody else's direction, as opposed to independent judgment over the whole situation. And, you know, I, I say that for the consumer, a financially minded attorney, financial advocate, as we like to call ourselves, coming into an estate planning engagement is the one time for most consumers over a period of years that a a third party can take a look at the big picture and deliver and say, okay, now these are what have to go into that trust Mm -hmm. and we're going to take care of that. All right, Greg. Well, I can't uh, thank you enough for spending some time with everybody today talking about this whole idea of what uh, March to a Million really means. But my favorite question for you uh, is, what should I have asked you that I didn't? What makes you tick? There you go. All right. Why don't you take it away? What makes you tick? You know, I am. I'm a lifelong learner kind of guy. I went to law school straight as an arrow. My undergraduate school was started out as a mechanical engineer then aeronautical engineer, then architecture, 
then how do I get out of here? Okay, I'm going to take a quote unquote easy path and I'm going to do accounting and finance and get a business degree and then decide I was going to go to law school after that. Never had the vision to be Perry Mason or anything like that. I wanted to be a businessman. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to learn the way that businessmen slash lawyers think. Started, I hung up my shingle right out of law school as an estate planning, tax, business attorney, and continued to follow the path of coaching and guidance. And that's what got me to my commitment to March for a Million. This whole idea that the, I think you mentioned compartmentalization, the whole idea that the consumer has is fed by these silos, the insurance silo, the investment silo, the legal silo, and the tax silo, and each one says, I can't do the others. And each one also says, give me all of your money, one way or the other. <laughs> yep. When the, when the consumer just needs to have a guiding force that can help them make good decisions. That's what drives me. It's what excites me every day, getting up, trying to figure out new ways to to deliver that. Uh, in the words of Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach, you know, that's that's my unique ability. That's where my passion is. And that's what I'm trying to bring to people through this podcast and other outreach. And we're going to dive in much more deeply in uh, future episodes about what that outreach looks like, what the education and support that you provide uh, with your services there. So, Greg, I want to thank you very much for everything that you're doing for our audience and for those people who are listening. Just make sure you stay tuned because it's going to be very important for you to find out all of the wonderful opportunities that you have in working with Greg and his team so that you can truly be that advocate your clients need. So for Greg, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to the March to a Million podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available and get in touch with our team by visiting our website at www.wealthsolutionsgroup.biz or give us a call at 614-432-8065. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wealth Solutions Network. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice from qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have.